certain times in my life, it really spoke to me about just letting go and letting God. And hopefully it speaks to you.
I invite you to take your hymn book once again. Turn with me to hymn number 48. Oh God, our help in ages past. Hymn number 48. I'll ask you to stand with me as we sing this, and then those in junior church can be dismissed. Hymn number 48. <laughs> to start a new series, and um, it's only two parts, and we're going to be in the little book called Philemon. Philemon is one of the smallest books in the Bible, and we're going to take a look at it this week and then again next week. Uh, the reason just two parts is because then the following week is the ordination uh, service, and the following week uh, is an Iwana service. And so I've chosen this little book, uh, even though it's small, uh, because it holds and contains uh, so much uh, that we can learn and we can learn from it. It's an interesting story, and before I read the entire book, which is only 25 verses, let me explain what is going on. Uh, there is a man by the name of Philemon, and thus the title of the book, who is a slave owner. And he owns a slave by the name of Onesimus. Onesimus, one day, of his own free will, he chose to steal from his master and run away. Well, while he's away, he runs into the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul is in prison, uh, not in a dark dreary cell or in a dungeon, but Paul is under house arrest at this point, most likely in Rome. And we don't know all of the details of how Paul and Onesimus met, but in that meeting, Paul was able to lead Onesimus to Christ. 
And Onesimus now becomes a Christian. And Paul is going to send Onesimus back to his slave owner, Philemon. Even though Paul would really like to keep him where he is, Onesimus would be a great help to Paul in his old age. Uh, but he knows the right thing to do is to send him back. So that's the story. If you would turn, please, in your Bibles to the book of Philemon. Uh, it's only one chapter. It's only on one page. And it's a book that precedes Hebrews. So if you can find Hebrews, um, Philemon is the book just before it. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother... To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, to the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, Yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you my son, for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in change for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent. So that any favor you would do, uh, would, do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while, was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my very own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, 
my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. We have a very interesting story. And before I jump right into this book, uh, let me say something about slavery. Because Philemon is a slave owner, and Onesimus is a slave. My wife and I, we get down to Williamsburg, as you know, quite a bit, and uh, when we were there a couple weeks ago, uh, it was um, uh, a, a month in which they were honoring women. And we go to several programs, and uh, we sat in on programs in which women, um, slaves, uh, shared their stories. Uh, they shared how they were treated back in the 17th century. They shared how that um, they were ripped from their families to go to another slave owner. And when you left those programs, it was quite disturbing, the treatment of these who were slaves. The Bible never condones slavery, nor does it ever support it. It appears as though slavery in the Bible is different than how we view it today, what we think of it today. It doesn't appear as though slaves were treated as harshly in Bible days as they were a few hundred years ago. The Bible does not specifically condemn it, but it does give instructions on how slaves are to be treated and how slave owners are to treat their slaves. Let me read an article that I found this week. It says, although there are rules about slavery in the Bible, those rules exist to protect the slave. Injuring or killing slaves was punishable up to death. The Hebrews were commanded not to make their slaves work on the Sabbath. You could not slander a slave. You could not have sex with another man's slave. Um, you always had to return a slave that escaped. A Hebrew was not to enslave his fellow countrymen, even if he owed him money, but was to have him work as a hired worker. And he was to be released in seven years or in the year of Jubilee, whichever came first. As a matter of fact, it says that the slave owner was encouraged to pamper his slave. And then there's uh, verses that um, support each of the statements that I made. When we come into the New Testament, uh, we also find Paul you know, writing quite a bit about uh, slavery, owners, how they're to treat their slaves, and slaves, how they're to honor uh, their slave owners. And then we come now to this book of Philemon. And it is interesting that Paul speaks about uh, Philemon as the slave owner. Uh, he speaks about Onesimus as the slave. And Paul knows that it's proper to send Onesimus back to Philemon uh, because he actually is owned by Philemon. So let's take a look at this book. I know I certainly didn't cover everything there is to know about slaves back in the days of the Bible, but I thought I ought to at least say a few things 
uh, about it this morning because we're dealing in this book with a slave owner and a slave. The first point, the first thing I see, and by the way, this is, as I said, two parts. So next week, we're going to look at the whole area of forgiveness. And this morning, we're going to look at love, and we're going to end on the note of providence. But the first point I have is this, Paul's love for the saints, his love for the church, and his love for the people. When you think of the Apostle Paul, who do you think of? How would you describe him? Would you say Paul is a stern man? Uh, Paul is uh, a man who at times is very bold. Uh, Paul can be one of those who gets right in your face. You know, we read about that last week in 1 Corinthians when we dealt with communion. And Paul, uh, he had not a whole lot to say about the Corinthian church. And Paul was in their face and he was rebuking them and he was telling them what they needed to do. For the Bible says that the Corinthians were divided. Some went with Apollos and some went with, with um, Paul and some went with Chloe and some were with Christ. And Paul said, you can't be divided. And when you come to the Lord's table, certainly you, you can't have divisions among you. And so, yes, Paul was a pretty stern, in-your-face apostle. But, you know, there's a whole other side to the apostle Paul. Uh, Paul said things like in 1 Corinthians 13, love is kind and love is patient. And Paul exemplified that kind of love. And in his very personal letters, like this one to Philemon, we can really see the, the pastoral heart of the apostle as he writes to Philemon. And he speaks of his love for the saints. Paul wasn't always one who was beating up on people. There were many times in which uh, Paul says there's a time for that. But Paul had a deep, deep love for people. So when we open the pages of uh, this book, uh, we open in verses 1, two, th 2, and 3 with the greeting. Uh, Paul introduces himself, identifies himself as the writer of this little personal letter to Philemon. Uh, he identifies Philemon as a dear friend and fellow worker. Uh, Aphia, who most believe is the wife of Philemon, and then their son is Archippus. Then he ends the greeting, grace and peace to you. Very typical way in which uh, Paul greets uh, the churches or greets an individual with grace and peace. When we come to verses 4 through 7, we have praise and prayer. Praise and prayer. Paul says, I thank God, in verse 4, as I remember you in my prayers. Because Philemon had that same love that Paul had in his heart for the saints and, and, and for the church. And Paul says, I thank you for that, that love that you have. But I also thank you for your faith. The faith that you have in Christ. All we know about Philemon is what we read right here in this book. But if you listen carefully as I read the description in these verses, 
you would come to the conclusion that Philemon is just a great guy. He's one of those guys you, you, you would like to have as a best friend. He's an encourager. He's a refresher. He's one of those guys you just like to be around. He's one of those men who, when you leave their presence, your spirits are lifted because he reflected and he, he mirrored the very love that Christ has for us. Now, I believe what Paul was doing in verses four through five, or four through seven, was a little bit of, um, oh, he was buttering him up. He was flattering him. It's all true. It's all true. Paul isn't exaggerating. But Paul is going to say to Philemon, who has just been wronged by his slave, accept him back. And so Paul wants to remind Philemon that he's a man of great love. He's an encourager. He's a refresher. He's one who lifts spirits. And so we come to verse 8. And we have the word, therefore. Now you know when you see the word, therefore, you must ask what it is there for. Right? I mean, there's a reason that this connecting word is used between Paul's wonderful description of Philemon and what he's about ready to ask him to do. Therefore. You see, there's a reason that Paul, in these opening verses mentions the good character of Philemon because he's preparing him. He's preparing his heart. You know, let's suppose, let me give you an example. Uh, let's suppose that um, you needed a few dollars. You, you were running a little bit short at the end of the month and um, you really needed someone to give you a loan. And you knew someone in the church who was very generous. Uh, you knew that they were uh, tithers and great givers. You know that they've given to many charitable organizations. And so you invite them to lunch and you sit down and you begin to tell them how thankful you are that they are giving to this charity, how thankful you are that they are giving tithes to the church and then you say, oh, and by the way, I could use a few extra dollars. Now, that's not exactly what Paul is doing here. He's not referring to money. But he is buttering Philemon up a little bit because he has a request to make. The request, of course, is that he might accept Philemon back. Not just as a slave anymore, but now also as a brother. Now Paul does say in verse 8, he says, listen, I am the Apostle Paul. And I do have the authority to command you to do what you ought to do. I mean, I have the right to do that. I am Paul. But I'm not going to do that in this case. I, I don't have the right or I have the right, but I, I, I'm not going to just demand of you that you do the right thing. I'm not going to say, listen, you must accept Onesimus back. End of story, no discussion. 
Paul says, I, I, I could do that. And you might obey me, you might not obey me, but you know, you, your heart wouldn't be in it. I've heard about your love, Philemon. I, I, I've heard about your love. I know that you're a, an encourager, you're a refresher. And you have the hearts of, of the people of God in you. And so, Paul is a very wise man. Rather than commanding, rather than telling him what to do, Paul is going to appeal to him on the basis of his love. On the basis of his love. He's not going to pull rank. He's not going to use the authority card. Paul says, I prefer to appeal to you, verse 9, on the basis of your love. Paul's an old man, it says in verse 9, and that doesn't mean, well, I don't know what, what you think old is. Uh, many believe that he's probably about 60 years of age. Uh, for some of us, that's not that old anymore, but he's about 60. Uh, but probably in ministry, as long as he's been in ministry, and because of the hard work and the suffering and all of those things that Paul has been through, he's probably worn out by all of that. And he even says in the verses in which we read, he would love to have kept Onesimus with him. Onesimus would have been a great guy to have right by his side. Here, here's a man who would be able to help him in so many different ways, but he knows that that's not the right thing to do, that he must send him back. Paul had the maturity as a seasoned, seasoned leader to be able to say, you know, it doesn't really matter what I want. It's what I need to do. I need to send him back to you, Philemon. He's yours, and he's going to be a good, good man to you. It's not about me. I don't live for myself, and so I'm sending him back. And he appeals to Philemon on the basis of his love. He doesn't want to command him. He doesn't want to tell him what to do, although he could do that. But he wants for Philemon to willingly accept him back into his home. The other thing I see, and we're going to speak a little bit more about these things. If you say, hey, you're missing some things here, uh, we'll look at these things next week. But I want you to notice a verse, two verses, which brings me to the second point. Paul sees his circumstances. He sees all of this as being governed, managed, and overseen by a sovereign heavenly Father. Look at verse 15. Perhaps, perhaps the reason he, Onesimus, was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever no longer as a slave but better than a slave as a dear brother he is very dear to me but even dearer to you both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord Paul is looking at this event he's looking at all of these circumstances that are taking place. 
And I believe at times what Paul does is he, he puts himself in the shoes of someone else. As he thinks to himself, how is Philemon going to receive this letter? How is Philemon going to receive this slave who has wronged him, who has run away from him? But Paul wants for Philemon not just to see the circumstance, not just to see the situation on the horizontal plane, but he wants for Philemon to see the bigger picture, which there always is in life, isn't there not? Is, is there not? We can always look at the circumstances around us. We can always see the situation but there's always the bigger picture. What is God trying to do in all of this? And it might just be, Paul says, perhaps, in verse 15, just perhaps, Philemon, all of this has taken place so that your runaway slave might become a Christian. Perhaps, Philemon, all of the evil that we see has just been turned into good. Perhaps, and we're going to look at that word as well, perhaps, Paul says, the reason that he was separated from you is that you might have him forever as a brother in Christ. Perhaps the reason that all of this took place is so that Philemon, or Odesimus, can become a child of God's. He sees in this, Paul does, the providence of God. You know, recently I've been thinking a lot about God's providence. Uh, I, th I guess it's because we studied over in the um, fellowship hall not too long ago, the book of Esther. And the book of Esther back in the Old Testament uh, has so much to say about the providence of God. And that's what I say in verse two, uh, point number two. Providence means that God governs, manages, and oversees everything that takes place. I've been using several commentaries, and um, I, I want to read three of them, actually. I, I uh, hope you'll stay awake. Sometimes when uh, people read, it's not the best thing uh, to do, but um, sometimes commentators just say things so much better than I could ever say them. Um, this commentator says this, commentators observe that Paul does not say, for this cause he fled. Now I look at verse 15. It says, he was separated. Do you see that? Now I know in some of your Bibles, uh, the King James, and we'll say that something in a moment, it says something a little bit differently, but in the NIV it says, he was separated. Onesimus was separated. This commentator says it does not say he fled. He separated himself. He departed. Although he did that, right? I mean, Onesimus did do that. But that's not what Paul is saying here. But Paul says he was parted. He was separated. But there's more. Paul does not say he parted from thee. 
He doesn't say he ran away from you, Philemon, but he was parted. The verb is passive and it's not active. Now, how long has it been since you've been in an English class? Since you've studied passive and active verbs? Don't answer that question. But you know what an active and passive verb are. If I say he punched you, that's quite different than you. Now, wait a minute. Now I'm getting going to get myself confused. If I say to you, he punched, right? He punched. That's different than he was punched, right? He punched is active. You did the punching. But he was punched. You're just standing there minding your own business and someone comes up and clocks you, right? There's a whole world of difference between he punched and he was punched. There's a whole world of difference between he departed and he was parted. He separated or he was separated. The verb in this case is passive, which says that Onesimus was separated, which brings in the hand of God in all of this. That it's God who is working. Oh yes, I know we would say he did run away of his own free will. But Paul is saying to Philemon, let's look at the bigger picture. Let's look at God's involvement in this. Perhaps, Philemon, God has orchestrated all of this so that your slave Onesimus could be saved. And come back to you not only as a slave, but also as a brother. The Tyndall commentary says this. Now the argument moves on to another plane in verse 15. It moves on to another plane. Paul introduces the thought of God's providential ordering of circumstances. He puts it in a tentative fashion. And that's where he speaks here of the word perhaps. Perhaps this is the way it is. But this is surely only... He's, explaining why Paul uses the word perhaps, this is surely only because of the tactful approach that he's making. Remember, Paul is treading lightly as he comes to Philemon to make this appeal to accept Onesimus back. So he's using tact. We cannot imagine, he goes on to say, any doubt as to God's sovereign overruling in one who could say, and this is the Apostle Paul, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. So we, we're not questioning whether or not Paul believes that God works all things together for good. That's what Paul states in the book of Romans. So when Paul uses the word perhaps, it's not like, well, I'm not sure if God's in this or not. No, Paul knows that God's hand is in this. But instead of a dog dogmatic assertion, he puts the same truth in the form of a gracious suggestion. It recalls Mordecai's words, for those of you who were uh, there in the class of the book, in the book of Esther. When Mordecai said to Esther, now Queen Esther, she's on the throne. She won the beauty contest. The Jewish race is at stake. They're just about ready to be slaughtered and annihilated. And Mordecai comes to the queen and says, you got to do something about this. 
And this is what Mordecai says to Esther. Who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Who knows? Maybe, Queen Esther, you're sitting on the throne because this is your time. So while he was fully aware, Paul, that Onesimus' departure from Philemon had been deliberate, he sees the hand of God in it. And he speaks of him as having been parted. And then he goes on to use the passive and active verb idea as well. One more. Wake up! I saw you sleeping back there. No, not really. He does not say, perhaps the reason why he ran away uh, from you after committing larceny or thievery, etc. He does not say that. Paul doesn't bring up the, um, you know, the uh, offense of Onesimus. He doesn't do that. Perhaps the reason why he was parted from you. In other words, Paul, though by no means clearing Onesimus' guilt, Onesimus was guilty. He wants Philemon to see and consider God's glorious, overruling providence. Behold, the hand of God in this happening. God used this evil deed of Onesimus to bring about good, and this both for the runaway himself and for Philemon. Remember back in the last book of the book of Genesis, when Joseph was sold down into Egypt as a slave? Remember his words in, in uh, Genesis 50, verse 20? Joseph says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. That's what's going on here. And Paul wants to remind Philemon that, that God's hand is in all of this. That God's hand is in all of this. You know, I, I, I hope that you really believe that God is sovereign. That God is a providential God. That God's hand is, is really in the glove of history. And that's what Paul is trying to say to Philemon. Perhaps the reason that he was separated, that God separated him from you for a little while, is that he might be saved and you might live with your brother now forever and ever and ever. You know, I don't think any of us would say that, you know, God really isn't in control of things, that God really doesn't sit on that eternal throne, that, that God really is not providential, that, that, that God really, the whole world is just out of God's control. He has no control of anything that's taking place. I don't think any of us would ever say that. But I do wonder sometimes if we don't live like that, that we don't really believe that God has things under his control. You know, we say we believe in God's control, and, that, and yet we complain about everything that's going on as if, where's God? We believe that our lives are under the watchful eye of our Heavenly Father, and yet we worry relentlessly. We say we believe that the Lord works everything out for good, and boy, but we sure live in a lot of fear. 
You see, we believe God's in control. We believe God's sovereign. But do we really live like that? Do we really believe in our heart of hearts that God really has everything under his hand? You see, I think one of the problems we have is, and uh, Amanda sang of it just earlier, we don't always trust God. We don't always trust God. I think one of the things God is always asking us, will you trust me in this? Will you trust me in this? Will you trust me in this? Yesterday, uh, it was a kind of an ugly day, um, and um, we still went to uh, soccer. Um, Aiden played yesterday morning, yesterday morning, and so we went, and um, uh, we were standing there in a little bit of snow on the ground, and watching the game and Brinley was sitting on a little chair she you know some of these young kids she didn't have a, even have a coat it was kind of a long sleeve shirt but she was so cold and she was wrapped up in this blanket sitting on this chair like in a fetal position and um, then I started to you know like grandpa sometimes do I tried to started to rock her like back like pretend like I was going to pull her all the way back and drop her to the cold wet snowy ground and then I, I, you know, bring her back and then bring her back up. And then I stop. I said, Bryn, because then after a while, she was pushing her own feet back. And then so that I would catch her. And I said, after a while, you know, I said, I want to watch the game now. It's over. Our game is over now. And I stepped over. I said, Bryn, I'm over here now. Don't go back. Well, you know what she did. <laughs> but do you know what I did? I ran over and caught her. She trusted me. She knew I wasn't going to let her fall in the wet, cold, snowy grass. I think sometimes God just wants us to lean in his arms. You all done that trust fall? You remember, I, I should bring some kid up here, but they probably all, all went downstairs. You know, you stand up here on the platform, and I stand down there. Now fall into my arms. You know, trust me. Sometimes we will. Sometimes we won't. I believe what God is asking us this morning is trust me. You know, I know some of you are going through some difficult things right now, and your circumstances aren't anywhere near what you would like them to be. Situations you're in, and you're looking, I know, at the horizontal. We always look around us at the circumstances and the situation. But begin to look at the bigger picture. What, what is God trying to teach you? What is he want you to learn in this situation understanding that god's got his hand in this he always has his hand in this but what is he trying to teach you this morning and maybe you just need to trust god just a little bit more father as we come before you this morning i pray that whatever areas they are in which, Father, we seem to not be trusting you. Help us to trust you in those areas. Father, we believe that you are sitting on the throne. We do believe, Lord, that you are in control. For the Bible clearly states that you're a sovereign Heavenly Father. We know how much you love us, how much you look down upon us. 
We know that watchful eye is always staring at us. Father, I pray for those who are going through some really tough times right now. I pray that you would give them a trust beyond measure, a trust in you to do just the right thing. Father, forgive us this morning because we, we often say we believe, but Father, we don't always live like that. So give us the trust that we need to know that all things really do work together for good, even when they look so bad. Father, we're thankful that you're with us this morning. We're thankful for the way you work in our hearts and our lives. Lord, move from our minds into our hearts this morning with a deep trust. Help us to fall into your loving arms. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The closing hymn is a hymn that um, speaks of the providence of God. Uh, it's found on page 47, but we're going to sing it to the tune of Amazing Grace. That's a tune we're all familiar with. Uh, so we're going to sing hymn 47, God Moves in a Mysterious Way uh, to the Tune of Amazing Grace. Let's stand together and we'll sing this in closing. thankful for your presence. We're thankful for your spirit. 
Father, as we leave this place, as you go with us, I pray that, Father, you would go before us and help us to trust you. Help us to put all of our faith and trust in you, knowing, Lord, that you order our steps. You are a great and awesome God, and we thank you for who you are and the wonderful things you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.